The sermon text is the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 19, verses 41 to 48. As Jesus came near, he saw the city and wept over it. He said, if you, yes you, had only known on this day the things that would bring peace to you, but now it is hidden from your eyes. In fact, the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. Within your walls they will dash you and your children to the ground, and within your walls they will not leave one stone on top of another, because you did not recognize the time when God came to help you. Jesus entered the temple courts and began to drive out those who were selling things there. He told them, It is written, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching in the temple courts, but the chief priests, the experts in the law, and the leaders of the people continued to look for a way to put him to death. They could not find any way to do it, because all the people were clinging to him and listening. The Gospel of our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. The following is a true story. A young mother was about to enter the sanctuary of her church with her toddler daughter. It was just a couple minutes before the start of the service. The pre-service music was winding down, and the little girl chose that moment for a very badly timed temper tantrum. Desperate to calm down her little daughter before the start of the service, the mother asked, do you want to make Jesus cry? To which the little girl replied, real loud, so everyone in the church could hear, yes. <laughs> now, if you've ever tried to get a freaked out little kid under control, you know how tempting it is to say just about anything that you think might work. There's bribes, there's threats, you try anything. So you understand the mother probably was just desperate when she asked that. We also know that children of all ages, when they are upset, they say things they don't mean. And I'm sure that little girl in her heart of hearts did not want to make her Savior Jesus cry. But you know what? Even if she did, she could not. No one can. No one can make Jesus cry anymore. Jesus is exalted in the glory of heaven. He is seated on the throne at his Father's right hand. He is eternally and perfectly satisfied. No one can make Jesus weep anymore. And you know, even when Jesus was in his humble state, even when Jesus was walking on this earth during his ministry, even in that state of humility, it was very hard to make Jesus cry even then. In fact, as far as we know, as far as it's recorded in the Bible, there is only one thing that ever makes Jesus weep. Do you know what it is? It's death. When Jesus stands next to the tomb of his friend Lazarus, shortest verse in the New Testament, Jesus wept. And it's not recorded in the Gospels, but in the letter to the Hebrews it says that in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before he died, Jesus wept at the thought of his own suffering and death on the cross the next day. And then you have example number three in today's gospel where Jesus weeps over the entire city of Jerusalem. You might say, well, hold on now, doesn't that break the pattern? If Jesus only weeps because of death, how can he weep over an entire city? But actually, it doesn't break the pattern. If anything, it strengthens the pattern. You see, when Jesus wept 
by Lazarus' tomb, he did it knowing full well that in just a few moments he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, right? Plus, as Jesus explained to Lazarus' sister, whoever believes in me lives even though he dies, so Lazarus really wasn't dead. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus wept knowing full well that his heavenly Father was going to raise him from the dead on Easter morning. So, in those cases, Jesus weeps over death even though the death is not lasting. It's not permanent. But the death Jesus sees in the city of Jerusalem, that is the worst kind of death. It's the permanent kind. It's a story that happens on Palm Sunday. So Jesus has just ridden in to the city of Jerusalem humbly on a donkey. A huge crowd of people from all over Israel have welcomed Jesus and acclaim him. They recognize him as the Messiah. They call him Son of David, a messianic title. Save us, Lord. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But at the end of the parade route, Jesus has enemies waiting for him, and they insist that Jesus tell the people in that crowd to be quiet. And right after that, Jesus comes to a ridge where he looks down over the entire city of Jerusalem, and he weeps. He said, if you, yes you, had only known on this day the things that would bring peace to you, but now... It is hidden from your eyes. And you can hear sorrow in Jesus' words. It reminds you of a parent speaking to a child who's just too far gone in their rebellion and now there's no coming back. Jesus says he has come to that city to bring the people there peace. But it's not the kind of peace that the people in that crowd wanted. It's not a political kind of peace. And it's also definitely not the peace that Jesus' enemies want. They want basically the peace of status quo. They just want things to stay the same so they can maintain their spiritual tyranny over the people. But those are not the kinds of peace Jesus has come to bring them. Jesus has come to bring them the best kind. Eternal peace. Peace for their souls. Jesus has come to bring them the peace of knowing that they are God's children again. The peace of knowing that their sins are forgiven Peace, even at the hour of their death, knowing that they will rise and live forever in the kingdom of heaven. That's the kind of peace that Jesus has come to Jerusalem to earn for them with his death on Good Friday and his resurrection on Easter Sunday. But they do not see that peace. But now Jesus says, it is hidden from your eyes. Their eyes are closed in unbelief. They do not have the faith to look at Jesus and find this eternal peace that they are bringing for him. And that makes Jesus weep, and it is very sad. It is a tragic thing that the people in the capital city of God's own chosen nation, for the most part, did not look at Jesus in faith and did not see the eternal peace that he was coming to bring them. But not everyone has their eyes closed. The Bible often pictures the work of the Holy Spirit as opening eyes or giving sight to the blind. And there were a few there in Jerusalem, like Jesus' disciples, who did have their eyes open in faith to see Jesus' eternal peace. And the Holy Spirit has opened your eyes and mine and the eyes of billions of others to look at Jesus in faith, with our eyes open, and to trust in him for the eternal peace that he brings us. But we still have this sin in us that clouds our view of Jesus' peace. It's like this 
spiritual glaucoma that blurs the eternal peace that Jesus gives us. See, most of us have heard many times about this eternal peace that Jesus brings. We hear over and over again about the forgiveness of sins and being God's child and knowing where you're going to go when you die, this eternal peace of Christ. And we just start to get kind of ungratefully bored with it. And we start to concern ourselves with other kinds of peace instead. Start to think of those kinds of peace as more important, like, I want financial peace. I want to know that I'm not going to run out of money until I die. That's the kind of peace that I'm after. I want political peace right now in my own country. I want people with differing political points of view to be able to not scream at each other and treat each other with civility. I want peace in my family and my friendships when relationships are strained. See, those are the kinds of peace I become more concerned about. And of course, all those kinds of peace are wonderful gifts from God when he chooses to give them to us, but nowhere in God's word does he promise us those kinds of peace. But the eternal peace that Jesus brings, that God does promise and deliver every time to everyone who looks at Jesus in faith. And the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes to look at Jesus and see his peace. Now, we ask the Holy Spirit to keep working on us with the love of our Savior, to sharpen our focus on the eternal peace that Jesus brings to us and to all who believe. Because when people's eyes are closed, it ends badly. Now, as Jesus looks down over the city of Jerusalem, he prophesies vividly, tragically, about the physical destruction that is coming to that city just two generations later at the hands of the invading Romans. And as Jesus makes that prediction, he states the same problem. He just puts it in slightly different words. And within your walls, they will not leave one stone on top of another because you did not recognize the time when God came to help you. Notice that Jesus very clearly there calls himself God and says he has come to help the people in that city. He's come to help them by establishing that peace between them and God. But they do not see that peace. They do not recognize the divine help that God has sent them in his son Jesus. And the final result of that is destruction. And that gives Jesus no pleasure. Yes, Jesus predicts the destruction of this city, Jerusalem. He says as a fact that it is going to happen. That doesn't mean he wants it to happen. When people do not recognize the divine help that Jesus gives them, it makes him sad. It makes him weep. Now there is another picture in the Bible. There's opening eyes and giving sight to the blind. But there's another word picture for the work of the Holy Spirit. Actually, there are a lot of them. But another one is enlightenment. And the picture there is like, when the Holy Spirit brings you to faith, he just turns on this light in your heart. And now you look at Jesus and you recognize the eternal help that he came to bring you. You look at Jesus and you recognize that what no amount of silver or gold could ever pay for, the forgiveness of your sins, he did when he died on the cross for you. What you could never accomplish as an imperfect person, the holy life that your holy God demands from you, Jesus accomplished that for you, and he gives it to you through faith. And what you could never possibly hope to pull off on your own, 
a resurrection from the dead, you will have it because Jesus rose from the dead. The Holy Spirit turns on the light so we recognize the divine, eternal help that Jesus brings us. But just the same way that our sin fogs the view of Jesus' peace, it also clouds our view of Jesus' divine help. We go to Jesus for help with all kinds of things. And that's good. We should. We go to Jesus for help with our health, with school, raising children, money, friendships. And Jesus promises that every time we go to him for help, he is going to give us perfect help every time. He's going to give us exactly the right thing for us and our eternal good, and he is going to give us that perfect help every time. But we don't always see it that way because I have my own idea of what the best kind of help would be. And I want the help that I want. And I want it right now and not one second later. And if Jesus doesn't give me exactly the kind of help that I have in mind and give it to me right now, suddenly I start to see him as maybe being not so helpful after all. Now how could I ever think that God, who came to give me eternal help by taking my sins away, would ever give me anything less than perfect help ever with anything? It's the sin in me that, that's blocking my view of the eternal help that Jesus gave me. Now the Holy Spirit has opened our eyes and he has turned on the light in our hearts so that we recognize Jesus' eternal help. But we need the Holy Spirit to keep working on us every day to open our eyes again, to refresh our recognition of Jesus' eternal help. We ask him to do that. Holy Spirit, come to us every day with Jesus' love. Sharpen our focus. Renew our recognition of his help. And the Holy Spirit will do that for us. God promises us in his word that he will do that, and he will do more for us than that. As the Holy Spirit does that, he will also help us to worship our God truly. And we know most of the people in Jerusalem were not seeing Jesus' peace. They were not recognizing his divine help. And you know, it showed in their worship. And I say, now hold on here a second. Seems like there's an awful lot of worship going on Palm Sunday, right? You got this giant crowd welcoming Jesus, even calling him son of David, the Messiah. And then you got people worshiping in the temple. The Lord likes that, right? And at the end of the story, it even says there are so many people who are still clinging to Jesus and hanging on his every word that Jesus' enemies are not yet, anyway, able to seize him and kill him. That seems like a lot of worship to me. But when you start peeling back the layers on all that worship, you can see that it's sick or even dead. Because at the end of the line on Palm Sunday, there are those enemies insisting that the crowd be quiet, that they stop worshiping Jesus. And guess what? By the end of the week, all the voices of worship will have fallen silent in Jerusalem. No one will be worshiping Jesus anymore. And the worship in the temple, the Gentiles' worship in the outer court, is being interfered with by greedy vendors who are putting money ahead of the worship of the Lord. And there are still people clinging to Jesus and listening to him, but they will soon turn away when they realize that Jesus' priority, the eternal kingdom of God, does not match their priority of an earthly kingdom for Israel. When people are not seeing Jesus, are not recognizing his help, it shows in their worship. And that is still true today. 
It shows in lack of worship. Shows in half-hearted worship. Shows in worship where the clock gets checked more often than the heart. You know, the word worship is very closely related to the word worth. In fact, a long time ago, the word was worth-ship. But it's almost impossible to say, so eventually the TH dropped out and it just became worship. But when we worship God, we are showing him how much he is worth to us. How much we value him. Is he worth it to be here? Is, it worth it, is he worth it to you to put some feeling, a little enthusiasm into your worship so that you build up your fellow Christians around you? Is he worth it to us to recognize even that our worship of God is not confined to this sanctuary, but that the entire life of a Christian is to be one huge, constant act of showing God what he is worth to you. As he tells us, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. This is your spiritual act of worship. So when we come together on Sunday morning, we are giving God worship that he desires. There's no doubt about it. He loves it. But he also loves it when Christians recognize that their whole lives are to be done to God's glory and according to his commands. And we recognize that our worship does not always live up to that total truth and purity that God desires. Not in here and not out there. Not, it's not totally dead worship of unbelief, but it's inconsistent and it's impure. And we need the Holy Spirit to raise the level of our worship to the truth and purity that God desires. And in order for that to happen, we have to start by letting God tell us how much we are worth to him. And that starts here. Because it's true, when we worship here, we are showing God how much he is worth to us. We do that with our time, with our attention, our prayers, our offerings, our songs. That's all showing God how much you value him. But way more important than that, is when we gather here, God is telling us how much we are worth to him. He is coming to us through word and water and bread and wine to tell us that we mean more to him than anything else. We mean more to him, so much to him, that God himself, the Son of God, came to bring us peace with our Heavenly Father and eternal help in the forgiveness of sins. That is... The number one reason that we come here is for God to tell us in all the rich variety of ways that he communicates it, that we are worth so much to him that he sent, sacrificed, and raised his son for us. And when God shows us how much we are worth to him, he sanctifies us. He opens our eyes again to see Jesus' peace. He shines the light in our hearts again to recognize Jesus' help. And then... We worship God truly in here and out there in all we do. Amen.